welcome back to my love letter time machine. Hi, I'm Ingrid Virgil Hughes and I'm serialising the love letters of my great-great-grandparents, Fred Shepherd and Janie Warburton. Travel 140 years back in time with me now, where we take a look at Victorian history through their eyes. And today, Fred makes what some might think a rather foolish attempt to lay down the law over the style of Janie's wedding dress. I'd like to dedicate this season of the podcast to my dear stepfather, John Fraser Cox, who died this summer. He was Fred and Janie's great-grandson-in-law and part of my family for 27 years. He was always so encouraging of my creative endeavours and I miss him deeply. Hello again. Welcome to season five of my Love Letter Time Machine. It's wonderful to be back. Before we get back into the detail of Fred and Janie's life, I thought it might be a good idea to check in with global events, because the end of August and the beginning of September of 1882 were a rather dramatic couple of weeks. Firstly, the 20th of August, in a tent erected next to the unfinished Cathedral of Christ the Saviour, Moscow, saw the world premiere of Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture. Written to commemorate the anniversary of Russia's defeat of Napoleon, the performance heard the cannons being fired for the very first time during the now famous finale. It remains one of his most played pieces of music to this day. Cannons also rang out during that summer in Egypt, as Britain was not yet done with doing colonialisms, and the latest came in the form of the Anglo-Egyptian War and the brutal bombardment of the city of Alexandria supposedly in response to local unrest concerning the Suez Canal. This culminated in the British occupation of Cairo on the 13th of September 1882. Gladstone's government formed a controversial protectorate over Egypt and this uncomfortable state of affairs remained in place for the next 74 years until the Suez Crisis in 1956. Over in the United States, the advance of electricity hit a major milestone that September when the world's first commercial power station, Pearl Street Station, was brought into service in Manhattan, New York. It was built by the Edison Illuminating Company and Thomas Edison himself flipped the switch. You might remember that back in the first season of this podcast, we discovered that the first ever electrically lit football match had taken place in Sheffield in 1878, a proof of concept that had possibly influenced Blackpool the following year in becoming the first municipality in the world to have public street lighting. And now, here we are, another three years on, witnessing the unquestionable arrival of the electric age, and in many ways, the birth of the world we live in now. It was reported in the Sheffield Telegraph on Thursday 7th of September 1882 as follows. See if you can spot how the writer valiantly tries to describe what a light bulb is. Electric lighting in New York. The first experiment lighting sections of the city with Edison's incandescent electric lamps were successful on Monday evening. Mr. Edison has laid 18 miles of wire in pipes and placed 16,000 lamps in stores and offices. 
The work has been completed in about a third of this section, and 5,000 lamps, along with six miles of wire, were burning last night. The circuit, including the Times and Herald buildings and some large offices. In all these, the light was soft, perfectly steady, and seemed more evenly distributed than gas burners, while it gave out only a fifteenth of the heat. The expense will be a trifle less. The lamp circuits have a porcelain shade over an airtight, pear-shaped, ground glass globe, four inches in diameter, in which is a carbon horseshoe. All the subscribers express satisfaction with the experiment. Lights half a mile from the supply station burned as brightly as those in the station. When the work in the section is completed, 22,000 lamps will be supplied from one station. Meanwhile, back in Handsworth and Middlesbrough, dramas are on a much smaller scale, as Janie and Fred are now in full swing for the final preparations of setting up home and their wedding, which for them will take place in just over four weeks' time. We rejoin their story with Janie's approval over Fred closing on the rental of what will be their first home. Hansworth, Saturday morning, September the 9th, 1882. I received your welcome letter this morning, for which I thank you, love. I wish I could have been at Mr Marston's with you, then we could have had another game at whist. I enjoyed the quiet evening we spent there. In fact, I think I shall like all our friends there. I should like to have seen you so much, darling, but you did quite right to go to Malton as you had promised Mr Banks. You know, love, you will have me altogether too soon, and then won't you be tired of me? I think I hear you say, no, not if you are good. I will be so good. We shall be as happy as the days are long. I do yearn for the time to come, love, when I can be with you for instead of only a month since you went away, it seems six. Father is not so well this morning. He has had a very poor night. I think he has got a cold with going out too much in the damp, but with a little care, I think he will soon be better. The pain in my side is quite better, love. I think it was having to stand in the wet at the flower show and getting cold. I will not be laid up if I can help it, love. My darling, there is no doubt about my loving you, for I love you more than ever, and I wish I was with you. I would tell you so, and giving you such a loving kiss, you will have some stored up for me, won't you, lie husband? I was so sorry to give you such two short letters, love, but you know I would have given longer ones if I could. The one I sent yesterday was disgraceful. There were so many blots, I wrote it in the room, and it was nearly dark, and I had no blotting paper, so you must please excuse, as I only had two or three minutes to write it in. I am glad the house agent will pay half the expenses of papering and painting, I think it will be a very nice house by your account, love. I am glad the passage goes straight through to the kitchen. It is much better and it is a consideration to have the gas fittings in. I do not think the house, dear love. Our Williams pay £21 for theirs without rates. I know that it is a little more than you intended giving, love, but I think you could not have done better. We can remove if we find it is too much, but I don't think we shall, love. I think we shall manage that nicely. I am glad Mr Cooper stuck up for you so well about the company secretary and hope that everything will go on satisfactory. You would feel put out at the thought of having to do all the work over again after working over so many days. I hope the other clerk will take some work off your hands. The strain is too much. I am sorry you are not well and I am glad you are going to Redcar, my darling, for a little fresh air. I hope it will set you to rights. 
I think it would set me up if I could go with you. I will try to imagine that I am there enjoying the sea breezes with you and that we are having a kiss when we think that no one is looking. Do you remember us being in front of Mr Glover and Annie on the sands and having two or three? We had a happy day, hadn't we, love? I must give up now. I have a few jobs to do before I go to Sheffield and it is nearly time I was getting ready. I remain my darling husband, your loving true and faithful wife, Janie. In the next from Fred, he seems to come down a little severe on Janie for a couple of things, including her opening a letter from Fred Johnson, addressed to them both, that accompanied his wedding gift of cutlery. I'm not sure how Janie was to know that she wasn't supposed to open that letter, especially under those circumstances. Albert Terrace, Linthorpe Road, Middlesbrough, September the 10th, 1882. My own darling wife, I received your welcome letter yesterday, love, for which I thank you. It is very nice to have one every morning, even if it is short, and I cannot complain this week, love, that I have not received any. I wish I could have been with you, love, on Friday night to take you for a walk. It was very nice here, and scorching hot yesterday. I hope it will be something like it next month when we take our little holiday. If it is, we shall enjoy it, but we shall enjoy being together no matter what sort of weather it is. I received your nice long letter this morning, darling, for which I thank you very much. It was quite one of the old sort. I am very glad to hear that Fred Johnson has been as good as his word so soon, and pleased that the knives and cutlery suit you so well, love. If they do that, they are sure to suit me. I am very much obliged to Fred for his acceptable present. Has he gone back to school yet, love, or is he staying at home? I should like to write to him, but I do not know where to write to. I should have liked to have looked through the Cutler's Hall with you, my darling. I have heard Mother speaking of it as very fine, though of course that is not so much in my way, perhaps as yours. I am glad that you saw it, love, because there is no Cutler's Feast in this neighbourhood. Your curiosity got the better of your judgement, love, in opening Fred's letter, as it might not have been all that you anticipated. In any case, you ought to have sent it to me, or kept it, as it was intended until the wedding day. However, it is done now so it is no use saying anything about it. By Eve's curiosity, you know, sin was brought into the world. I think after all now, love, that you were quite right before that Tom Hughes would be the best for Annie Laverack, and then Ted can be with Miss Dalton, and if he declines, I can then ask Ted. You see, you did not mention Ted at first, and I thought you meant to leave him out of the wedding altogether. You must forgive me, love, for misjudging you. I wish I was with you, love, and then we could talk it over. It would save us a lot of trouble. I think sometimes that for all we write such long letters, there are a lot of things we should like to say and cannot very well in a letter. I know your weakness for a nice wedding love, as you call it, and so must give up mine, for it was always my great desire to be married quietly and without any bother or fuss, for it is not the same as if we were going to occupy a prominent position in society. When we get away, everybody will have forgotten us in a couple of months and perhaps sneer at our attempt to do the thing in such a large scale. You must remember this, wifey. There must be no bustles, crinolettes, padding, or any of that, for I detest such miserable little expedients, and have no desire to marry a combination of pads and bustles, and would much rather you were your own natural, dear, lovable little self, than a fashionable make-up. Excuse the strong language, love, as I feel strongly on this point. You know, I shall not get tired of you at all, little dear, 
How can I, if you do your duty, I shall love you more. I am sorry to hear that your father is not so well, and hope he will be better soon, love. He ought to take more care of himself, I think. I am very pleased to hear that you are all right again, my darling, for it is bad to think that you are not well, and me not there to comfort you. I shall have a lot of kisses stored up for you, my little wife, and do not know how we shall be able to get them all in. I will gladly excuse your blotted letter, love. I am pleased you think the house will do, love. I think we shall be able to afford it very nicely, and it is something, after all, love, to live in a nice house, in a nice, decent neighbourhood. I went down to Redcar yesterday, love. I'm very pleased that I did so, as it has done me the world of good. I really felt on Friday as if I was about to break down altogether and was awfully low-spirited and weak. I could not make it out. I was afraid I was going to have a serious illness yesterday. If it had not been payday, I think I should have not gone to the office. It was a beautiful day at Redcar. They were playing football on the race course, but I did not play in the match. I just kicked the ball about a bit and that did me good. Then we had tea with Harrison and then went for a row in the boat, which did me good. I was a potato this morning and feel very much better, love. I'm going to Marston's to tea this afternoon. He is left in charge at the works during Mr Cooper's absence. I wish you could have been with me yesterday, darling, but you'll be with me soon and I think we might manage a few days either at Redcar or Saltburn. It would not cost us much and then we should be able to start fair with increased strength. I do remember our kissing on the sand in front of Mr Glover and Annie, love. Do I ever forget anything that has happiness between us, my darling? With respect to the wedding cards, love, I do not think we should have any need to send any because it only means that we should be pleased to see them at our house. With those friends at Sheffield, that would almost seem impossible, and the friends we have here will not need them. I have been thinking that if we have some printed with a few words on similar to what you put in the paper from your Fred, it would do. Tell me, love, what you think about it, and also what to put in. I could get them printed for nothing, and it would save us a lot of trouble. About a hundred would do, I should think. I will send you the list this week of my friends. I wish it was next Thursday, love. I think I should be better if you were here, my wife. I think I shall have to get a new suit, love. As the serge, I have been working in some time, and it would scarcely be good enough to go out about with, and it would not do to wear the other all the time. Besides, I should have had to get some trousers in any case, and I need not pay for it then unless I liked. We shall have £40 altogether, love, or very near to start with. Do you think we can manage everything, including a few days at Saltburn? Please tell me what you think about everything that I have asked you, as I think there are several things in my other letters you have not answered yet, but I can't remember them just now. The marriage bans will have to be published the Sunday after next, won't they, love? I remain my own darling wife, your loving, true and faithful husband, Fred. P.S. Excuse the ink and writing, love. The ink has been watered until you can scarcely see it, and I feel out of form for writing this morning. N.B. I love you more than ever. I do wonder if Fred's frustration over wedding details is partly to do with how removed he is from all the proceedings and has practically zero control over anything that is happening with his own wedding. It all seems to be coming out in these somewhat dictatorial edicts. In this case, what his bride is going to be wearing. When he wrote, there must be no bustles, cunnelettes, 
padding, or anything of that, for I detest such miserable little expedients and have no desire to marry combination of pads and bustles and would much rather you were your own natural, dear, little, lovable, loving self than a fashionable makeup. Fred wasn't actually expressing a particularly controversial opinion. Being disparaging about women's fashion is not just a modern phenomenon and it appears to be a tradition going back centuries. I do wonder if Fred had chanced upon a mass-produced article doing the rounds of the British and Irish newspapers that summer. It came up 36 times in a search on the British newspaper archive, so I think we can assume that it had blanket coverage. The gist of it is basically, oh no, please don't let this be the return of the dreaded crinoline, and reads as follows. Crinolettes. The medical press and circular refers to the new vagary fashion-styled the crinolette, not because of any actual medical interest that it possesses, than perhaps of the medical interest of certain changes in dress which it apparently portends. The crinolette cannot with propriety be called the thin end of the wedge of crinoline, but it may perhaps be correctly described as the first elevation on the ascent of that mountain of absurdity which was such a nuisance twelve or fifteen years ago. The crinolette is simply a ludicrous excrescence and must be highly inconvenient, being something in the nature of a birdcage stuffed under the dress and fixed in the region of the archaic bustle. But it does not in any way interfere with functional activity nor endanger health. With the crinoline, however, the case is far different. That was not only a social vexation of the first magnitude, tending to the destination of nervous irritation by universal ruffling of temper and creation of embarrassment, but it was the cause of disease and a danger to life. By exposing the lower half of the body to cold air and chilling it, it helped set up various disorders and to induce general debility, and by spreading out the inflammable materials of clothing in such a way that they were beyond control and almost beyond cognizance. It kept up a constant risk of conflagration whenever an open fireplace was approached. Many lives were sacrificed owing to the crinoline-inflated skirts catching fire. It behoves all sensible women firmly to set their faces against any attempt of the reintroduction of this pernicious fashion. And so the article continues, but I think we've probably heard enough. We often think of industrialisation in terms of leaving its mark on the big things like railways and steamships, but innovation was also happening in more intimate products too. mass-produced sprung steel in corsetry and frames for crinolettes and bustles instead of whalebone made ever-changing fashion trends very affordable. The famous bustle silhouette, that of having an almost shelf-like protrusion from your rear upon which to hang and drape your skirts, saw its heyday during the 1870s and 1880s. During the early 1880s, there was a bit of a lull in the fashionability of the angular bustle, and skirt shapes became softer and instead were arranged to fall in a flowing shape to the rear, supported by the crinolette that Fred so detested. Our Janie was extremely interested in clothes and her ability to acquiesce with Fred's demands here may well be in part that she would have considered the bustle frankly out of fashion. However, during the year after they were married, the bustle came back in force in all its right-angled glory and I wonder how Janie and Fred handled that turn of events. Anyway, Janie's next letter is the first one she wrote after going for her wedding dress shopping trip with all her friends that Saturday. And by happenstance, the dress she has chosen 
Sounds as if it will meet with Fred's approval. Hansworth, September the 11th, 1882. My own darling husband, I received your very welcome letter this morning, for which I thank you, love. We did our shopping on Saturday and a very enjoyable afternoon we had. Ginny was quite excited over it. As usual, she could not keep still a minute. I did not buy your tie or gloves, as I thought I would get them another time. We all had tea at Evans. We came to Darnall by the 5.20 train, and I went up with Mr. Allen. Annie was obliged to go before, as she had a letter to write and to post that night. I got home about nine. I was going down to Annie Wortley's yesterday afternoon, but she called about half past two in the trap, and she had to go to Clara's. George Denton and Clara have been to the Isle of Man this week, and he was so poorly they were bridged to come home sooner than they thought of doing. Annie was going to walk back, so I walked down there to meet her and got all the way. George does look bad. He is going as fast as possible, I think. He has such a racking cough. When we got to the Boar School, we met Harriet and Miss Watson. They asked me if it was true I was going to be married next Wednesday, they heard. They wished me every happiness and we stood talking ten minutes. Then they wished me goodbye and gave me a kiss. I hope we shall have nice weather this next month, love, when we take our little holiday. We shall enjoy it wet or fine. Fred Johnson said he was going back to school this last Saturday, so it would be best to write there, love. I am very sorry I opened Fred's letter. I have been making the bridesmaid hats today, but they do not look so nice as I expected they would. I think Ted would like to walk with Miss Dalton best, so if you can get Tommy to consent to come, I would ask him. I wish we were together, love, so that we could talk everything over. There is lots of things we should like to say, but it can't work very well in a letter. I can promise you I shall not wear any bustles, crinolettes or anything of the sort, so love, you will not marry a fashionable makeup. But as you say, my dear, little, lovable, loving self, so that you will know as soon as you see me that I am all genuine. Father is very much better today. He ought to take more care of himself. It is something to live in a nice house and decent neighbourhood, love. I am glad, my darling, you think going to Redcar has done you good. I think I should get doctor's advice if you do not feel better, as he might soon set you to rights now, and if you let it go on, it might end in a serious illness. Whatever should I do then, love? I do hope you will soon be better. Annie Laverack and I are going down to Annie Wortley's now. She is waiting for me. I will give you everything in full tomorrow, if possible, my love. I love you more than ever, and remain my darling husband, your loving, true and faithful wife, Janie. The wedding discussions continue next time. While Janie is fretting about the colour of the bridesmaid's hat, Fred is more worried about the ever-increasing number of bridesmaids. He is also making inroads into the setup of their home in Milton Street, arranging for wallpaper and getting the gas put on. It's all beautifully domestic and I can't wait to share it with you. Thank you so much for listening to my Love Letter Time Machine. I'd very much like to share Fred and Janie's story with more people. So if you haven't already, can I ask you to leave a review on your podcast app if there is a space to? It really does help more people to find Fred and Janie's story. You can also find excerpts of Friend Janie's letters on Instagram at My Love Letter Time Machine, all one word. And you can write to me at My Love Letter Time Machine at gmail.com. Until next time, take care.